Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned for something better for us so that, we, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we thank you for the joy of meeting together and praising you, we thank you especially for giving us the gift of your Holy Word. Thank you that your Holy Spirit caused it to be written for our learning. And we pray that he may now be our teacher, that he may help us to understand your word, take it to heart, and above all, put it into practice in our lives. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's a great pleasure to be with you again this morning. Uh, It's always a delight uh, to come and see Paul and Caroline and the family. And it's nice to be back here. This was the church that my wife went to as a student when she was in Sheffield in the late 70s. Gosh, that seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, But nice to be with you this morning. Now, uh, I wonder if any of you have had the experience that I had a few years ago. I hope you haven't because it was rather alarming. I found myself at the end of a long day coming home and on a motorway where I thought I was in the inside near lane, I discovered myself in the outside fast lane, overtaking lane, and couldn't remember at all how I'd got from uh, the inside lane to the fast lane. What had actually happened was that I had uh, blinked and momentarily fallen asleep and drifted across the motorway 
from the inside lane to the outside lane. You don't need to, me to tell you how dangerous a thing that was. Fortunately, there weren't many other cars around. But it certainly um, made me think about how dangerous drifting is. And the whole book of Hebrews is written to Christians, probably, we don't know exactly where, but quite likely uh, in Italy or even near Rome, who are beginning to face the cost of what it means to be a Christian. They've heard about other Christians being tortured and persecuted in Rome itself, and they're beginning to feel marginalized as Christians, and they're beginning to find the race that they're called to run as a Christian they're beginning to find it difficult and most importantly they're beginning to drift and the writer to the Hebrews warns them the whole book is about the danger of spiritually drifting and it's a fantastically important book for serious-minded Christians to take to heart look what uh, the writer of the Hebrews and I have to keep saying that the writer of the Hebrews because we don't know who he was um, what he says right back at the beginning in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received as just, just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him the danger of drifting. And these folk had welcomed the Lord Jesus with great joy. They'd suffered uh, for him, but they were in danger of spiritually drifting. Uh, again, turn with me just quickly back to chapter 10 and uh, see what the writer of the Hebrews warns them about in verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Well, uh, let's turn back to chapter 12 then. And let us, with that background in mind, let us uh, remember that Paul uses, uh, Paul I say here, I've slipped into it, the author to the Hebrews, uh, some people think it's Paul, probably unlikely, but the author to the Hebrews uses an analogy um, from uh, running and those of us who've enjoyed the Olympic Games and I hope you have they've been terrific to watch haven't they and um, this is also fresh in our minds and relevant therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us God calls us to live for him as those who have known his redeeming grace. It's pictured here as running a race. Not a Usain Bolt sort of race, but a Mo Farah sort of race. A long distance endurance race which calls for perseverance. And uh, the uh, writer of the Hebrews here gives us encouragements that we need to take on board if we're to run the race well and faithfully and persevere. William Barclay, in his uh, commentary on Hebrews, says this, uh, verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12 is a well-nigh perfect summary of the Christian life. And I think he's right. These two verses 
are two verses that are gems in terms of encouraging us to run the race and to live the Christian life. Now notice in verse 1, the first word is therefore, and as good Bible students as you are in Fullwood, you know that when you see therefore, you ask the question, what is it there for? You ask the question, you ask the question, what is it there for? And it points back to, immediately it points back to uh, chapter 11, this great catalogue of people in Old Testament times who've lived by faith. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, in running the Christian race, which calls for perseverance, I want you to look back at those who've run the race before. And so uh, there's the list of all the people in Hebrews chapter 11. It was lovely. I hadn't heard the song that the children sang before, that the Lord is good and the Lord is strong and he was with all these people and they proved his faithfulness. That's exactly the point of chapter 11. Some people have pictured this as uh, from the, the Olympics of, of the uh, first century, of uh, the runner uh, running and a whole sort of the stands around filled with a cloud of witnesses cheering people on. And there may be a bit of an idea in that, but it's less in terms of, of the people cheering on what they see in the athletes and more the athletes looking at what they see in those who have lived by faith. The picture really is more like uh, going to the National Art Gallery and seeing a portrait of people, sometimes in the churches I go around, um, and I visit quite a lot of churches even still, when you go into vestry, in some churches they have pictures of all the old rectors. And it's a bit like uh, going into a gallery and seeing the heroes of faith of the Old Testament. And the writer of the Hebrews says, look back at those, they lived by faith. They proved the faithfulness of God. They knew that God was strong and that God was good and that the promises of God could be relied on. They lived for God and take encouragement from their example. First of all, uh, this gallery of faith it gives us a positive example. And the writer of the Hebrews says, listen, think about them for a moment. They had much less reason to uh, live the life of faith than you do. Look back at chapter 11 and verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then the very end of the chapter, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They trusted what God said he would do uh, to save a people for his own possession and bless the whole world through that saving grace. They promised, they believed the promise to Abraham and yet they never saw the fulfillment of it all. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying this, look, they lived by faith. They trusted God even when it was difficult. They proved the promises of God. They knew God to be strong and good and you ought to be encouraged by that because you live after the fulfillment of God's promises in the coming of the Lord Jesus, God's
pinnacle of revelation in his own son coming to live among us supremely to die for us and triumph over death and open the gateway of heaven to those who believe. You live, says the writer of the Hebrews by implication, you live on the other side of the cross. You have far more reason to live the life of faith and more than that you have the promised Holy Spirit to help you, enable you to do it. So look back and see their positive example but see also how much more reason than Uh, you have than they to live the life of faith and then look back and see them as a negative example be uh, learn from what they failed to do learn from their failings think for example of Samson Samson who simply squandered the gifts that God had given him and uh, surrendered his life to pleasure or as I once heard Jim Packer saying he was obsessed by wine women and fast chariots Um, that's what diverted Samson and caused him to drift spiritually. But he came back in the end to trust God and be used by God. So learn from their failings. And here the writer to the Hebrews says, let us, because of the race, because of its nature, uh, because it's an endurance race, it's a long distance race, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I think the writer here, when he talks about uh, let us throw off all weights, it's not so much sin he's talking about, is those uh, things that distract us from Christian living. Let me give you an example. Before I was married, I used to do a lot of youth work, and one of the things in my makeup, I used to be come in late at night from doing youth work, but I could never go straight to bed. I would, are you like that? I... I needed to unwind for a bit. And one of the things I liked to do was watch late night movies, which were a little bit better than than many of them are now. But anyway, um, I used to like to watch a late night movie. But one night I was watching a late night movie, which was a bit more scary than normal for me. And at the most scary point in in the film, a branch of a tree outside the land window had just grown long enough And the wind was just strong enough and the timing was just exact enough for the wind to whip that branch of that tree against the lounge window. And at the most scary point of the film, there was a big bang on the lounge window. I shut up from my seat and I went to bed that night. And I I remember uh, uh, pulling all the blankets up and shivering in bed like that because I was not only cold, but I was actually uh, shivering with slight fright. And I thought, Ben, you idiot. You absolute idiot. You simply put, your way, uh, put yourself in the way of something that instead of helping you has actually caused you to be afraid and hinders you. There are all sorts of things that in the right place in our lives can hinder us. Ambition that gets out of proportion. Uh, The place of pleasure in our life, the place of recreation relationships, handled wrongly, can turn into real uh, weights. And then uh, he talks about those sins that so easily entangles. It's a a lovely picture. Here is the athlete uh, getting rid of baggage, not having a rucksack on his back, getting rid of the weights. And, and watching um, for shoelaces 
or anything else or something on the road that might entangle him. And I think that uh, what he has in mind is those clinging sins. We all have our prevailing sins. You know those things that we find ourselves coming back to the Lord about and saying, here I am, Lord, again about this or that. The writer of the Hebrews says, deal with those things. Watch the priorities of your life. Watch things that, if not exactly sins, if out of proportion, can hinder you in the race. And watch those real sins in your life, particularly those things that easily, as sin always entangles, the more we sin, the more we are hindered by it and the more we enslave to it. But particularly those prevailing sins that actually cling and can trip us up. So in the light of the gallery of faith that you've looked back on, learn from them positively how they trusted God through the hard times, but actually learn uh, from uh, negatively from their failings so that you get rid of those weights and those sins. Ask God to deal with them. I think as I preach about this, a man that I, I once knew, it's a long story, I'll give you the short version of it. He ran a, a, a private hotel and uh, a person who had lived with them as a, a paying guest for 24 years said that they'd never seen the owner of the hotel lose his temper. His wife told me that when they first got married, he had such a terrible temper, she bought a Yale lock and put it on the drawer in the kitchen because she thought when he got a bad temper, um, she and her daughter, he might do something too. And I said, that's amazing that he, he now is a person who never loses his rag. What happened? And she said, oh, it began to change when he came to Jesus and came to know him. And he daily brought his temper issue to the Lord and the end result is a man who is exemplary uh, in the fact that he never loses his rag. Well, the gallery of faith, look back to them, but most especially look up because that's in the verb here, uh, looking to Jesus. Uh, the idea is looking away and, and towards Jesus. The picture of Jesus at the end of the race, waiting to welcome those who have run the race fa- faithfully to say good and well done, good and faithful servant. You know, if uh, Paul mentioned I'm a rugby man, but imagine the guy kicking the rugby ball and he, uh, he has his eyes on the ball, but he looks up towards the goal and he uh, makes sure he's got the trajectory right, or if you prefer golf, you eye up where the hole is and you keep your eye uh, on on that. And the author to the Hebrews is saying, look up away from your problems. Don't look down into the problems. Remember Peter when he got out of the boat and began to walk on the water, looked down at the problems, and that rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus. And keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. I don't particularly like uh, portraits of Christ. I always think they're terribly inadequate. But if you push me hard, I really like the portraits of Rembrandt. And the reason I like uh, Rembrandt particularly comes from an experience I had when I went to his house, uh, which you could visit. And I don't know if they changed the pictures around, but when I went there, there was on the second floor, or the first floor up, um, there was only one picture in, in a fairly dark sort of a small house, dark landing room area. 
But Rembrandt's brilliance in terms of the way he uses light was that he had painted the crucifixion scene, but the light came onto Jesus. It was all about him. The painting was all about him. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Who he is, the pinnacle of God's revelation as God's unique son. What he did for you, as Paul said elsewhere, the son of God, no one less than that, the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He came and lived among us when he could have stayed in heaven without blame. And he went to the cross as our sin bearer and substitute. Keep your eyes on him. And if you move away from the cross and if you take your eyes off Jesus, you'll take your eyes off the ball as it were. And you'll begin to sink with the problems of life. In the context of of Hebrews, remember the superiority of Jesus, the incomparable one who is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like him. There is no one else can bring us into relationship with God but him. Uh, There is no one through which we can know the living God and have hope of heaven but the Lord Jesus. Remember him. Listen to the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2. Perhaps you might like to quickly turn there with me. To this you were called, 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is Peter's testimony in just a few verses. The example of the Lord Jesus, how he coped with suffering, which blew Peter away. But not just the example of Jesus, what Jesus actually did on the cross by bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. I like Moffat's translation of uh, the, the first part of verse two. He says, with eyes... With no eyes for anyone else. With no eyes for anyone or anything else. You know when you go as a parent or a grandparent to a Christmas production, which you'll no doubt do in a few months, many of you, and your little one whom you're there to support, when they come on stage dressed as a sheep or an angel and looking a bit embarrassed and looking all around... The key thing they want to see is uh, their parent or grandparent, the person they love in the audience. And once they see that, you can see the grin on their face and a new confidence. The Puritans, our spiritual forefathers, used to talk about this as I work. You know, if you're a little bit shy like me and you go into a room with a lot of people you don't know, who do you look for? You look for your friend. You look for the person you love. I, if I know she's there, I always look, whenever I go into a situation, I always look for my wife. And the author of the Hebrew is saying, in Christian living, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't look at the problems. Yes, the problems have to be related to and dealt with, but keep your eyes on him. Don't move away from the wonder of the cross. Don't move away 
from the glory of what Jesus did for you. Keep your eyes on him, for he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Difficult word to translate author. It does mean the one, the originator, the one who's enabled us to have faith and given us our faith. But probably as the uh, new version of the NIV translates, it probably slightly better, I think. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who's run the race before us. So it's not only Old Testament saints, but supremely and superbly, and the only one who ever did it perfectly, has run the race before us, the Lord Jesus. He is our pioneer who shows us how to run. And he is the perfecter. And that's a wonderful treasure, that word. It means that not only are we called to run the race, but actually we have the guarantee of his help to help us as a coach, as a one to show us the way to go, but also with his presence to enable us to go to run. Help is available from him. Look to him. Depend on his strength day by day. I'm an aspiring golfer. I'm not a very good golfer. But some years ago, my wife took pity on me and she bought me uh, some golf lessons. And I went out and the, uh, on the fairway and the, the golf pro said to me, I want you to tee up a ball. He was a big man, about six foot five. I'm only five foot seven. And he stood behind me. He said, don't mind what I'm doing. I want you to tee up the ball. And I want you to hit it as when you're ready, as hard as you possibly can. And just before I was due to hit the ball, he put his arms around me. And he put his hands over my hands. And I want to tell you, I've never hit a ball further or straighter than that day. And never will. But you see, it was his hands made the difference. And when we think of Jesus looking to him, we see him as the pioneer who ran before us, our example to run the race, but actually the perfecter of our faith, the one who can help us. And as verse 2 reminds us, Jesus endured the suffering and discouragement and difficulty and pain of the cross by looking through the cross to what it accomplished And we need to keep heaven in view. We need to keep reminding ourselves that this bit of our existence as Christians is the shortest bit. For we have eternity ahead. And Jesus our Savior has made that possible for us. So uh, time is is gone. Um, But in your own time you might like to look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 verse 7. Because he says, not only are there examples behind us, but actually some people who have led you to faith in as far as they've been faithful to the Lord, trusted his promises and modeled them to you and taught you the gospel. Follow their example, but supremely look to the Lord Jesus. Listen to what John, as I close, listen to what John Newton wrote. This is how Newton saw the Christian life. Quote, Every step along the path of life is a battle for the Christian to keep two eyes on Christ, the eyes of the heart. If I may speak my own experience, he said, I find that to keep my eyes simply on Christ as my peace and my life is by far the hardest part of my calling. I approach the throne of grace encumbered with a thousand distractions of thought, each of which seems to engage more of my attention than the business I have in hand. 
Run the race, brother and sister, with perseverance. But let's, by his grace, keep our eyes on him. Let's daily look to him and worship him for all he is and all he has done for us. And let's look for him and the help of his Holy Spirit for strength to run the race. And then we will run the race and run it well. We will be spiritual Mo Farahs. May God grant us so to be. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you will simply write your word upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen.